This is Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds knows no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This is the word of Lord of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your cross and we are humbled as we look at all that you've done for us through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And what a privilege this morning to gather in joy as we witness uh, 12 amongst our church family here at St. Stephen's being baptised into the name of the Father, the Son and the Spirit. And yet it's also uh, a mixed day because we say farewell to uh, Joel and Grace. And I guess that that's a reflection of uh, all of us here today. Will each of us be feeling different things as we've walked through the doors this morning. We'll each be facing different issues in life. No matter what it is we're facing, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us now through your word. Encourage us where we need it. Challenge us where we need it. But work within us, we ask. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please take a seat?
And just before we uh, get into the psalm and uh, have a think about some of the things that we just heard read to us, um, just a reminder, next week, don't come here. We've got church camp. Most of us are going to church camp, but if you're not coming to church camp, still come out on Sunday to Wood End Christian Camp and join us there because we're not having church here. If you come here, you'll be lonely. Uh, We'll all be out there, but you're very welcome to. If you need the details for that, then get hold of the office uh, sometime during the week. Well, if you uh, haven't been with us over the last few weeks, you won't know, but we've been doing a a summer psalm series. We've been going through some of the psalms and uh, focusing on them in these summer months. I think it's an excellent thing. We've uh, tended to do quite a while. And as we continue the series, we come across one today that I find a wonderful tonic. One of the real blessings of the psalms, and some of you will know this, is their ability to help us find company. There are often emotions and feelings that are powerfully communicated in the Psalms that make us realize we're not alone. They spur us on to, uh, I don't know if this is just me, but sometimes as a Christian you put on a facade. You make people think that everything's fine, that you're good, and the Psalms help us be honest about our struggles and difficulties when sometimes we're too ashamed to admit them. And I love that with the Psalms. Too often as Christians we give the appearance of being invulnerable. Or we look at other Christians and we think they're invulnerable. They've got super strength faith or bulletproof hope or never-ending love. And so whenever we struggle ourselves and we look at the super Christians, we feel like we're the only ones doing it tough. What's wrong with me? There must, I must have a faulty faith or bad wiring or something like that. But that's not true for any Christian. Life in this fallen world as fallen people is hard for everyone and Christians are certainly not exempt to that. And so when you get into the Psalms, do you see, the author so often seems to understand these difficulties. The authors sing of these struggles. They put words to the things that you and I go through in life. And it's a wonderful reminder that we're not alone. You're not the only one. That's why the the Psalms are such a blessing. Well, this Psalm today is one of those kind of Psalms. I hope you listened to it as Kerry was reading it through. Sometimes we kind of switch off with the reading. I hope you didn't this morning. You picked it up. Uh, If you've got your Bible here today, open your Bible. You want to look at the psalm, but if you haven't, Andrew will keep up with the reading uh, behind me. But the psalm today is by a guy called Asaph. We don't know a huge amount about him, but he was probably the head musician at the time. And he's clearly struggling as he writes this psalm. And more than that, clearly struggling in a way that, well, certainly I can uh, sympathize with, and I understand it. I'll let you work out if it's the same for you. In a nutshell, this is Asaph's problem. He isn't sure it's worth the effort being a Christian. He's not sure it's worth it. Have a look at verse 1. He starts off very well, very positive. Verse 1, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So far, so good. God is good to his people. That's expected. Asaph's mum probably raised him from when he was knee-high to a grasshopper all the way up saying, God is good to his people. But then immediately it changes in the psalm. Immediately, it's as if Asaph has entered into a spiritual battle, and the funny thing is that entering into the ring to fight him is his own experiences in life. Because what he will do in this psalm is, again, in a nutshell, he will say that when he looks at other people, in particular when he looks at other people that don't care about the Lord, he sees people having a great life. He sees them living it up with no cares or no worries, having a fantastic time. And then, as if to pour salt on the wounds, when he looks at his own life, he sees hardship. He sees struggles. He sees pain. He sees hurt. And so can you see his problem? What he's left thinking is, is, well, what's going on here, God? What are you doing? 
Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? Do you love your people? Like I've said in verse 1, surely God is good to his people. Do you care for me? Is the truth that my mum raised me on from when I was young correct and true? I've been doing my best. I've been trying to live for you. I've been trying to do my best to follow you. And yet when I look at other people, they're all good. Even people that don't care about you, they're sweet. And I'm suffering, I'm struggling big time. And underneath all of it, you see, is, well, can I trust God? Because it seems like either he's not good or he's not in control or maybe I'm not one of the people he's sure to be good to. And that's the big picture. Do you see the, the wrestle that Asaph has got? So I want to go through the, uh, the psalm in a bit more detail. It's worth it with this psalm. Psalm 73 is one of my absolute personal favourites. It's, it's a miracle it's taken these many years for us to do Psalm 73 in the Summer Psalm series. Uh, and it's, it's one of my favourites because of the phrases and the imagery. There is... They're so true to my heart and my life. And again, I'll let you see if it is for you. I hope you noticed it's really a psalm of two halves, two very different halves. And then there's a couple of verses in the middle where almost the pivot verses, where everything changes. And we'll think of that as we go through. So the first half is verses 2 to 15. And this is where Asaph is talking about what he sees in other people and what he feels in himself. That's what he's doing. Verse 2 sums up how he's feeling. Verses 3 to 15 explain why he's feeling that way. Verse 2, how's he feeling? But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. Now, just before you think, oh, well, my poor fellow nearly tripped. That's not what he's talking about. You've got to feel the weight of what he's going on here. Asaph is close to the edge. He feels like he could fall over. And what he's talking about there is he could walk away from the Lord. He could give up on his faith. He is that close to the edge when he writes the psalm. If he slips, you get the feeling he's a goner. He could give up on the one he's followed all his life. So why is he at the edge? Why is he about to slip? Why is he so worried? Verse 3, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So again, this is this Asaph looking out on others and seeing them do well. But to understand what's really going on here, you've got to know Psalm 1. Because Psalm 1, in some ways, stands over the rest of the Psalms. And in Psalm 1, it describes who the wicked are. See, we see the wicked and we kind of go, yep, that's a special category of people. That's Adolf Hitler, Idi Amin, Pol Pot, Stalin. There's a few kind of reserved for that. That's not how Psalm 1 describes the wicked. The wicked are those who ignore the one who made them and gave them life. The wicked are the ones who do not care for the word of the Lord. That's what Psalm 1 says. And what it says in Psalm 1 is that those who meditate on the word of the Lord, those who care about the Lord, prosper, and those who don't, the wicked, will be blown like chaff in the wind. So do you see why verse 3 is so disturbing to Asaph? Because he's been told, Psalm 1, the good will prosper. But here, the wicked are prospering. That shouldn't be. The people who don't care about God and don't care about his word are prospering. That's not how it should be. And so he's wrestling with this in his mind. Can you see it? Verse 4, as he goes through, as he carries on, he says, he looks at them and they've got no struggles. He goes on further in verse 4, their bodies are healthy and strong. I know how Asaph feels. I try and follow the Lord. Look at my body. Then I look at other people's body and they're healthy and strong. And they don't even, I understand what he's saying. Verse 5, they're free from burdens. They don't have a care in the world. And yet Asaph feels burdened. In verse 6, they've got a pride and they've got a selfishness that doesn't care about the people around them. Verse 8 to 9 is a picture of supreme arrogance and selfishness, which of course is what happens when you don't care about the Lord. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but if you don't care about the Lord, if you think you're here by just some fluke of genetics or simply evolution or a random big bang, then you're it. There's no one more important than you, no one that you're accountable to. Or It's very easy to be arrogant and selfish then. If you know there's a creator that you owe your life to and you know you've got a responsibility to him for the people around you and the world around you, that changes. But you see their arrogance and their selfishness, verse 8. They scoff and they speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Look at the imagery of the next verse. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. They strut round thinking they're as high as it gets in charge of heaven and earth and they mistreat the people around them. And when they face threats, the threat of water in verse 10, the people drink it up. They win, they succeed. And so they mock God. They've got great lives. Why would they care about God? How can God know, verse 11? Does the Most High have knowledge? And then Asaph writes, this is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Can you feel Asaph's distress? He says, how can people who don't care about God, who are so selfish and arrogant, be doing well in life and prospering? And just when you can kind of feel how low he is, something makes it worse. Because he looks at his own life and it's awful. Verse 13, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. Asaph says his life is so hard. His life is painful and bleak and without joy. And so do you see, he looks at others who don't care about the Lord and he sees no consequences. In fact, he sees successes and health and riches combined with a kind of swaggering bravado and quick tongue. And then he, who's always tried to follow the Lord, always tried to keep his commands, put him first, stay away from certain kind of behavior, take his responsibility seriously, and his life is awful. Have you ever felt like that? I'm sure you have. I know I have. I'm doing my best for you, Lord. Why are things so difficult? I've been honest in the insurance stuff after the earthquake, and I've ended up with nothing. Why are others who've been dishonest ended up with new houses? I've been faithful sexually, and I'm single. And I look around, and those who flaunt the freedoms they think they have seem to be having a great time. Every Christian knows this feeling to some extent in life. I was reading about a a lesser kind of version of this this week. The regulars here at St. Stephen's will know how ridiculous it was that I was reading about this, but I was reading about FOMO. FOMO, fear of missing out. I didn't even know what FOMO was. Because in the article it was saying that FOMO's got worse with social media. This is why I don't understand it, right? Because I'm not on social media. But FOMO... Fear of missing out has got worse with social media because when you're going through your social media kind of updates and, you know, I don't know the terms, but that kind of thing, all you see is the events you weren't invited to, the groups you're not a member of, the lives that everyone else has, which makes yours look bad, and people feel terrible. ASAP is going through that, but way, way worse. And underneath it all, and this is the key, is, well, maybe following God's not worth it. Maybe God's not good. Maybe God's not in control. Maybe I'm not one of God's people and it's a terrible thing that Asaph is struggling with. Verse 15, I think, makes it even worse because Asaph, look at verse 15, has felt these feelings before and he hasn't voiced them because he didn't want to unsettle other Christians. This is a good guy, but he's about to slip. This is a good guy, but he's about to lose his foothold. He is doubting God. 
I imagine he may be angry. Why have you done this, God? Why have you allowed this? Or perhaps he's heartbroken. How could you have allowed this, Lord? What is going on? And then I love verse 16, not because it's a great verse, because it's not, but because it's so true to life. Asaph says, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. We try and do that. We try and work out what God could possibly doing in the circumstances we find ourselves. We try to figure out what God's up to as we struggle. And then as we see others succeed and not have to go through, and it's awful, it is oppressive. The more we can't understand, the more we can't get it, the more the nagging doubt of God not being worth it kind of bubbles up. The more the thought that he can't do anything about it, maybe he's not even there, builds up and we could slip and it becomes oppressive. And so do you see in this first half of the psalm, as Asaph looks at others he's ber- and, 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 and himself, he's bereft. He's on the edge of giving up on the Lord. He's in the ring in a spiritual battle against his own experiences, what he's seen, what he's felt, and the more he tries to understand it, the worse it gets. But then, as I said, verse 16 and 17, these are the pivot. This is the pivot into the second half of the psalm. Verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Asaph says that what changed things for him was going into the sanctuary of God. It changes everything for Asaph. And I hope you can see that in the second half of the psalm. Do you see how different it is? What's missing in the whole first half of that psalm? God. In verses 2 to 15, the only time God comes up in that half of the psalm is on the lips of the wicked when they're scoffing against God. But from verse 18 onwards, Asaph is now speaking to his Lord. It's all about who you are and what you've done. Look at the verses with me and feel the change in tense and tone. Verse 18, surely. Remember, how did verse 1 start? Surely. Here's another surely. Second half. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish, You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. There's some wonderful truths in those verses. I love verse 27. There's a memory verse for you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you see the difference in the two halves of the psalm? In verse 2, he's in danger of slipping. He's on the edge And as he looks at the wicked, they seem secure and they seem stable. But now in verse 18, who's on slippery ground? The wicked. And he's the one who's safe and secure in the refuge of the Lord. Do you see the transition that's happened? The change that's taken place? Well, what's caused it? As I said, the pivot, verses 16 to 17. So it's not his understanding. It's not like he's gained a new insight into God. He's not, his brain power hasn't increased. It's entering the sanctuary of God. Now what does it mean to enter the sanctuary of God? 
For an Old Testament Christian at the time that this psalm was written, it meant that you were going into the tabernacle or into the temple. In other words, you were going towards the presence of God and you were reminded of the glory of God and the holiness of God. Because the tabernacle and the temple was one big signpost pointing to the presence of God, the glory of God, and the holiness of God. What's the tabernacle and temple full of? I like to say it was full of bouncers and butchers. That's what it was full of. Bouncers because it had restricted access. You couldn't go so far because you couldn't come into the presence of a holy God. And butchers because of the sacrificial system. So when you enter into the the, the sanctuary of God, you're entering towards his presence, his holiness, his glory. And it's this knowledge of God's presence, holiness, and glory that puts Asaph's mind right to see things more clearly. What it does is it reminds him that all is not what it seems. He looked out and he saw people that seemed to be having a wonderful life, but he goes into the sanctuary and he remembers one day all will have to stand before the Lord. That's a great reminder this morning. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you don't follow the Lord and your life's great, I rejoice with you, but it won't always be great. You'll go through difficulties in life and one day you will have to stand before the one who gave you life. And when he looked at his own life, he felt like he was all over the place and about to slip, but coming into the sanctuary of God, he's reminded he's in the hand of the Lord and he's safe and he's secure. Well, that's what we've got to do. We've got to enter into the sanctuary. Of course, for us today, we don't think about the tabernacle. We think about the one who tabernacled amongst us. We don't think about the temple. We think about the one who said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. We think of Jesus, but it's the same point. It's Jesus at the cross where we see the presence of God with us, the glory of God and the holiness most clearly. We also see the love of God and the grace of God. And then things are put into perspective. It won't give us an understanding of everything we're going through right now. We may not get, you know, kind of get it all, but it will show us eternal truth to hold in onto in the midst of it. What Asaph is reminded is that all is not what it seems. Listen to this. This is so important from this psalm. In verses 2 to 15, it's all about what he sees and what he feels. And he's all over the place. In verse 17 onwards... It's about what God's revealed. And so do you see the key message of this psalm? Don't trust your observation, what you see with your eyes or feel in your heart. Trust God's revelation. I'll say it again because it's so important from this psalm. Don't just trust your observation. Trust God's revelation. What you see with your eyes and feel in your heart is not always trustworthy. Your eyes can only see now. They cannot see the future. Your eyes can only see earth. They cannot see heaven and hell. Your eyes can only see the temporary that's around us, not the eternal and the permanent. When you go to Jesus, it gives you the bigger picture into which our present circumstances fit into. When you go to the foot of the cross, it draws back the curtain and shows the spiritual reality behind our physical experiences. That's why we want to spend time in the Word. Because that's God's primary revelation to us. It's like Psalm 1. Those who delight in the word, that they, they know more because you've got more to hold on to and you know the Lord better. I want to say to you this morning, verses 2 to 15 will happen to you and it will happen to me. More than that, I know that verses 2 to 15 are the experience that some of you are going through right now. 
and you're thinking, is God worth it? You're on the edge of the thing that God doesn't know what he's doing. Look at others and they seem to be fine. I look at myself and it's awful. And the danger is that like verse 16, you try to understand it and figure out God's plans and purposes in your present circumstances. And then you feel worse about, well, why has he done that? I don't understand it. And why did he not do that? Because that would have been better. But he hasn't revealed that. But what he has revealed in Jesus is his glory and his holiness and his victory over sin, the flesh, and the devil, and his love and care for you personally, and the fact that he will take you one day to be with himself when these present circumstances are gone. He's told you the lengths that he's willing to go through to save you. So I'm telling you this morning, enter the sanctuary. Reflect on Jesus and the cross, and then you get reason to trust and have confidence and feel secure, even in the midst of questions and uncertainties. How's your footing? Are you close to the edge? Can you say, like Asaph in verse 1, surely God is good to his people? Can you say that and believe it? If you're sitting there this morning and think, no, I'm not sure I can, I'm struggling with that, so did Asaph. Big time. But he then entered the sanctuary. He went to Jesus and saw who God was and what God had done. What he's revealed more than just our human observations can pick up. He didn't try to understand everything he was going through. He just sought to believe what God had revealed to him. Look at Jesus and his cross. This morning, you may be so low that your observation, your sight and your heart is telling you you're going through this alone. You feel abandoned by God. Have a look at verse 23. You haven't been. God's holding you by the hand and he's always with you. Look at verse 24. You're guided by God's counsel and led into his glory. Don't trust your feelings. Trust his promises. They're more trustworthy. Today's been a wonderful day. Twelve baptisms. You don't always get to kind of do that. But to you twelve, as many of you as in this room, today's a reason to rejoice. I hope you go home feeling happy, and, but it won't always be like that. You will go through days and times like Asaph. And you will be tempted to trust your eyes and your heart and your senses. Beware. Because we want to learn from Asaph and find firm footholds. We want to know that we're on solid ground. Not observation, revelation. Because the truth is, we will go through life experiences that we don't know why God's done a certain thing or not done a certain thing. We may never know. But I will know that God loved me so much he sent his son. I do know that God has promised that the way I'm feeling right now is not the way it will be in eternity. I do know that God wants me to live in a way that honours him because he's holy and he wants me to live in a way that respects that. I do know that one day I will stand before him. And so I forget as much as I can the observation stuff that I can never know. I look to Jesus on the cross and hold on dearly with the things that I can know and trust. Sometimes we do that through gritted teeth, almost in anger. Sometimes we do that wiping tears away, almost kind of brokenhearted. But keep looking at the one you can trust so that your feet won't fall. That's what Asaph did, and I pray it's what you and I will do. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for a wonderful day this morning, a reason to rejoice greatly with all the baptisms. But I'm sure that nearly all of us here this morning know the cry of Asaph's heart. And I pray that for particularly those who are going through things in a really difficult way now, that we may know the wonderful truths 
found in the Lord Jesus. And for those of us that aren't, that we would, we would know these truths now so that they benefit us in the future. Father, please instruct our hearts and our minds so that we wouldn't just see with our, our ears, our eyes, but would know what you've revealed to us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.